0: Hello and welcome to a sub-series of Kyle's internal monologue called Josh and Kyle's External Dialogue. Yes, I have original naming. We are doing Babylon 5, and you're going to ask, but Kyle, you did Babylon 5 when you first started this podcast all those years ago. Yes. Why are you doing it again? Well, because I can. Uh, And I have Josh along with me for the whole ride this time, and he's going to be doing the majority of the talking because my thoughts are already out there in the wild of the internet. Uh, and I'm gonna I'm going to act more as a guide and a question asker and maybe chime in here and there or give him some okay. background information whatnot. But uh, without further ado, uh, Josh, as you all know from the Witcher stuff, uh, and hopefully, uh, elevator bullpen. Hopefully. Yeah. Please let us know how you know about Babylon 5, how you came across it, and why insistence that people watch it ever since you met me.
1: Oh, it's my time to share my internal monologue. Exciting. (laughs) So, the show isn't really that big here in Britain. You don't really hear about it casually the same way you hear about Star Wars, Star Trek, usual star shows. Uh, Instead, I remember the first time I heard about the show, roughly 10 years ago, I think, uh, from a fairly infamous source, the Big Bang Theory. Oh. Uh, some love it, some hate it, I'm a bit of both. It was a running joke in the show that Sheldon really hated the show, <laughs> so not the most positive introduction. Uh, it be until years later where I learned about it from a more proper source. So I was on holiday with the family, no clue where, we were all over the place. Uh, my parents gave me this massive magazine It was all about top 100 characters in sci-fi. Uh, so this was my introduction to Rondo, Jakar and Dylan. Uh They sadly did make the top 50, but the descriptions of the characters and some of the plot details sounded really interesting. Uh, weird magazine, though. Can you guess who made number one? Uh, I'm
0: just gonna guess a card.
1: Oh, so close! Uh, Han Solo.
0: Uh
1: yeah looking back it's no a choice I agree with either
0: <laughs> yeah I, I figured he was gonna be one of the big two from Star Wars to Star Trek, and I figured eh, let us go safe bet Picard because uh i I know you know one of the weird things is being being from the u s and going to the u k the popularity of Picard there is insane compared to like everyone else
1: I mean Patrick Stewart's national treasure that you know
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> Well, yeah, that, that's an interesting source to come from B5. I know I know the joke because my, my parents watch uh, Big Bang Theory. We're, we're used to being the underdogs. It's it, it's normal. We don't care. We're, we're used to being trashed on for no reason at all, other than the fact that it's not as popular as Star Trek. Uh, but The Gathering was the pilot, and I know you've watched both versions.
1: Mm-hmm. I didn't know there were two versions. You know, I was watching... <laughs> so the first time I watched it, uh, let's say, it was from a digital library. Wink, wink, nod, nod. Uh, and then the second time I was on the DVD box set. I got the full collector set because I wanted to do this journey proper. I was rewatching it. I was like, "Huh, something's a bit different." I could have sworn they didn't say that. I could have sworn this scene is longer than it was. Did they, was the music always like an eighties rock band? What's going on here? <laughs> uh, so it was only when we got to the scene with like Sinclair talking to um his girlfriend or partner Carolyn. Or, you know, He's packing his bag. He throws the medal around. It was only when we got to that scene, I was like, okay, this is a different edit because they really butchered that scene in the original edit. So yeah, Yeah. that was quite a bizarre realization coming around to it.
0: I think that I told you about the different edits. I guess you just didn't really clock it. Yeah, there's just a lot to keep
1: track (laughs) of. I was like, oh, you can't start from the episode one. You have to find a pilot. But the pilot isn't isn't collected of season one. It's his own thing. <laughs> <laughs> so for the longest time, it was all about, I wanted to start the journey, but you couldn't find a bloody gathering on its own. But in the end, I was like, ah, fuck it. Let's just get the mm-hmm. ball set.
0: In addition to being introduced to B5 in a rather strange way, mm-hmm. the creator of the show, J. Michael Straczynski, is well known, and he's a bit of a conflicted figure for you, understandably. Indeed, yeah. So I know why, and I in I have that same background. So tell the listeners why JMS is a bit of a conflicted figure in your head.
1: Okay, first of all, I forgive him. I understand he was under a lot of bullshit from the Marvel editors. Basically, he ran a very polarizing run on Spider-Man in the mid two thousands. Ah, uh, most people, you know, most casual internet people know him as the guy who was behind. One More Day, but he did more than that, okay? One More Day was a terrible betcon that he was forced into. Uh, he introduced more of them, uh, you know, the whole Spider-Verse, oh, let's eat the spider totems thing, uh, you know. Some people hate that idea, I'm kind of mixed on it, but he did some really beautiful character work for the character. Uh, the title was literally called The Conversation with Aunt May about her finding out his single identity, uh, the special, I think, my fifth hundredth issue, you know, he, he speaks to the spirit of Uncle Ben. That was beautiful. So stuff like that, you know, knowing that he's behind Babylon Five, I've you know, and that he has no editors <laughs> forcing him into terrible retconning situations like up oh, Gwen Stacy fucked Norman Osborne. None of that here. This is all him. Uh I'm very excited to see where it goes.
0: Yeah. Uh he does occasionally get Uh, A studio-mandated stuff, which... uh, I
1: remember you mentioning a couple, so it'd be fun to (laughs) go along. (laughs) I'll I'll try to guess them, and you can just point them out to me if I miss any.
0: His pure disdain for them is hilarious, if you know the the behind-the-scenes stuff. And the way he treats those studio-mandated things is very clearly, I am forced to do this. Uh, So it'll be fun to to get your reaction, considering, as you mentioned, his plan for Sins Past was not what came out. The, the, the editor said, what if Gwen Stacy fucked Norman Osborn? Not his original plan. <laughs>
1: an idea said by absolutely no one ever.
0: <laughs> uh, and if you don't read comics, then get to reading them, because my, my other part of this show, you know, every two weeks we're releasing an episode now, one is B5 with Josh, and one's The Question with myself, and just myself. So, read comics. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, so B5, uh, the pilot, the gathering, has a lot going for it and a lot against it. Uh, And I think one of the biggest hurdles for casual audiences is the CGI. And so I just want to get your handle on it because you're a classic Doctor Who fan, much like I am. So the quality isn't that much of a problem for either of us. Uh, But this show was a pioneer in using CG at the time. He didn't have a budget uh, for models, uh, so the the reason why they go all CG is because it was cheaper, uh, and it's one of the first shows to really use set extensions and uh, CG in on pretty much every shot it can that's feasible, it's within budget, uh, and of course now that's that's normal.
1: Mm-hmm. Sadly, so.
0: Yeah. So. Uh, you know, it pretty much wrote the book on a lot of that stuff, so what's your opinion on that kind of thing going into this This being the early version of that? Uh, I will say that the CGI gets better, as the CGI writers get more accustomed to things, and they they have more assets to pull from, Uh, and there's going to be a lot of spectacle with the cgi that uh despite looking primitive
1: is a lot better choreographed than even modern day cgi i mean it couldn't really get worse to be fair uh, i know you warned me and i was like i'm fine i don't worry about bad cgi but yeah it's rough but you know i'm not gonna i'm not one of those guys who complains about it every five minutes you know uh, mm-hmm. i know friends and family who do that but it's like whatever it's supposed to uh, create an idea you know it's one of those situations where it's all about suspension of disbelief and you just go over the flow and enjoy it mm. uh, as for you know as you say it's fascinating to see that this is one of the big pioneers in that kind of technology and that kind of mindset of you know fix and post uh, which sadly is an idea that's been corrupted over time you know we got George Lucas getting very heavy into that and now leading all the way into you know Lots of people do, but for an example, let's just go over the Marvel, you know, the MCU. That's become a mm. real problem there. Just prop an actor into a, you know, green screen. We'll figure out where the setting is later. And it's just ridiculous to, you know, <laughs> they CGI a dog, they CGI a gun, because they can't decide what it's going to look like. So let's just decide after we film the dialogue. It's ridiculous. So I'm, mm. you know, I'm glad that this show is kind of at that early stage where it's just the right blend of, you know, they know what they're going for. You know, that's the volume game. They they know what they're going for. There's a you know, need to get the physical stuff done. Then they'll add the intended, you know, full spectacle afterwards. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the
0: things, is because they were such low budget, I often compare the budget to B5 Classic Doctor Who in a lot of ways. Uh, They had, I think, 15 standing sets that could be redressed, uh, that they were designed that they could be redressed within an hour and be folded up and, and stuff like that. Uh, and they, they had a, a old hot tub warehouse <laughs> that they filmed in uh, that that uh, that became that was purchased by a film studio, and so they just converted that into B5. <laughs> it's a very low budget, and because of that, that's the necessity to the CG, which kind of helped it in a way because it put it on the map in in, you know outside of the fact that it is a pioneer in terms of storytelling on television uh in terms of serialization you know it the the cg put it on the map as being something that's going to be important for um you know the future of television
1: yeah and to be fair i love the design of the of the station from outside and the inside i love how it captures it's not like a standard you know circle source or anything like that it goes for a very unique distinct shape the insides how to deal with the different zones that's super cool uh and actually leads me to a subject i want to talk about uh i know the show has a very complicated relationship with deep space nine i'm sure you talked about that in your original run on your Mm -hmm. podcast so we won't go into all that yet maybe we can do it go in the future for now i want to try avoid you know all the star trek comparisons because that's too easy Instead, I wanna talk about an interesting comparison I believe it has with the French sci-fi comics, Valerian and Laureline. Uh, it's not widely known, but it is a. it was a pretty big European comics uh, yep. all the way from the 60s around all the way to the 2010s. One specific issue that I'm talking about is the Ambassadors of Shadow, uh, which most people know by its film adaption name, The City of a Thousand Planets. It kind of mm-hmm. merged uh, various stories together, but the plot is largely from Ambassadors of Shadow. In That story, we got Point Central, huge city-like space station with all kinds of different species uh specialized zones that can sustain only their specific living requirements uh a place acts as a neutral zone for travelers merchants and diplomatic talks sounds familiar uh in a way mm-hmm. i find that matches babylon 5 a lot more than deep space 9. so i don't know if j michael read that comic specifically uh but the comic has been a huge influence on stuff like star wars mm-hmm. other kinds of sci-fi stories so it might be possible uh, and I know that later on, there are a race in Babylon 5 called The Shadows, so just an interesting <laughs> coincidence, if not intended.
0: They're already here, but you don't oh, know.
1: Oh. <laughs> <laughs> the Shadows, cool.
0: Yeah, that's actually a really good comparison. I, I believe it was Tiny Frank, I think, is the one who runs the Twitter. Uh, there, There's a, the, the author of The Expanse, James S.A. Corey, who's really mm-hmm. two people. Daniel Abraham and Ty Frank uh, talked about that. One of the great things about B five, and he's 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 good friends, or they're both good friends with, uh, with JMS, um, is uh, one of the best things about B five is that it it repackages a lot of classic stuff in it, uh, and repurposes it and uh and redisplays it for a modern audience. Uh, so there's there's a lot of epics uh, for, for dating back to uh, Greek times. There's a bit of Lord of the Rings in it. There, there's all these great influences that JMS was able to take and sort of mash together in a way that came out a different whole that's both unique, timeless, and something that, uh, you know, reshows shows these, these great things to, uh, to a modern audience. And so... Uh, I think definitely Valerian was uh, an influence. I, I think Eva JMS would admit to that. So.
1: Cool, cool, cool. I read three of the stories, to be fair, so I'm not like a mega fan. <laughs> that's the first story I got, and I found the comparison quite, quite intriguing. Uh,
0: so getting into the characters, mm-hmm. the, there's going to be some swaps here and there, as you well know, because you've already uh, began watching uh, the, the first bits of, the, of season one. Mm-hmm. So, with the characters that you know were going to disappear, uh, that being primarily Doctor Benjamin Kyle, Laurel Takashima, um, what are your thoughts on them? You know, uh, do do you think that uh, they would have benefited from being in the full series, stuff like that, anything of that sort, or do you hate them?
1: I'm really glad you asked because I wrote pages upon pages of my thoughts on these characters, and I was worried you're gonna skip over them. So glad we had the same idea. Uh, so going in order, Lita Alexander Telepath, uh, I know she'll be back at one point in if the she main will. series. Uh, glad to hear, I kind of like her style, it's very contrasting to the whole military vibe. You know, she's you know, uh, kind of going for a 1920s fashionista look, which <laughs> is <was> a nice <laughs> touch. Uh, the very first thing I, I thought of when I found out she was a telepath... I hope she's more competent a telepath than Deanna Troy, <laughs> the worst telepath <laughs> oh. on TV.
0: Technically, Deanna Troy isn't a telepath, but she's an
1: empath. I knew you were going to say that, <laughs> but even then, that's not an excuse. <laughs> <laughs> the amount of conflict she could have avoided if her, if her powers worked. Captain, we can't trust these people. Oh, we can't trust the people fine on us? Gee, we couldn't tell.
0: One, one, one of my favorite inconsistencies in Trek is. Can Ferengi be read by telepath slash Impasse? <laughs> uh, the answer is yes and no, yes and no.
1: <laughs> Depends on the size of the lobes, I guess.
0: Well, uh, they have 10 inches. If you know, you know.
1: Mm. Uh, so I don't have too many thoughts on Lita, because I know she's coming back later, so...
0: A long time from
1: now, but yes, yeah. she's
0: coming back.
1: Uh, so as we go through these characters, I wanted to ask on if you have any insights on why they didn't make it past the pilot. Yes.
0: Yeah. Uh, so Patricia Tolman, uh, Lita Alexander, she uh works as a stunt woman on uh, actress. She's uh at the time she was working as uh, Gates McFadden's uh I believe stunt doubled in uh TNG in the TNG movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, she's, uh, she also was the, the stuntwoman for the the main female character in Jurassic Park, whose name is Slippy Me at the moment, and, uh, she also is an extra that appears in all of Trek, you'll see her occasionally, she's, uh, probably her most, most famous, uh, extra role was, uh, she's part of the, the, the team that tries to take over the Enterprise while it's in maintenance, and Picard has to go die hard on them. <laughs> she is good friends with jms and i believe they dated at one point actually lena was created for her and uh she could not uh due to scheduling with all the other stuff that she was doing couldn't uh be there for the the uh, the resuming of filming because they they filmed the pilot originally it was supposed to be they they, they they go straight into series and then uh, PTN which was a, a new network said eh let's just do a pilot first and then they they requested uh, a one year wait time before filming of the first season, which th- caused why a lot of the cast members had to disperse and then there was replacements. Gotcha. Um so Patricia Tallman wanted to do it. Uh, matter of fact, uh, I have the script books. I have every script of B5 in, uh, in Midnight on the Fiery Line, the first episode of the first season. Up until uh, I think about a week before filming, Lita is still on the cast list, and Lita has Talia's role in that episode. Oh. And uh, uh, it was only changed last minute.
1: that actually explains like the uh, the introduction of a new of the replacement character is so casual you know, I was going to talk about yeah. that for the next episode but the way they introduce her just felt like she's always been here like oh okay just feels a weird way to introduce a character but well, that makes a lot of sense
0: yeah he was trying to hold out for his friend basically yeah, that's cool uh, and ah uh, she will be back when her schedule lightens up and she will become a serious regular much later down the line. But yeah, that's that's the reason. Uh, her and Jameis are really good friends, and I think they dated at one point, and I know that she was in charge of his production company for a while, so they're, they're buddy-buddy.
1: So she's kind of like the major Bavé to his Gene Bay.
0: Kind of, uh, I mean, he's married at this time frame to his best friend. If you want an insight into who he is and the complicated relationship with he has with marriage, I highly recommend reading the uh, his autobiography, Becoming Superman. Cool. During the production, he is married to a woman named Catherine Drennan, who will write an episode in season one. They, they're no longer married, but they're still very, very good friends. They're best friends.
1: But moving on to the the other cancelled characters, uh, Commander Laurel. Out of the three who are cut, um, she's the one I'm most fine of getting cut. I found she didn't really have the much, you know, I found like you know, her placement, Susan, had a much more distinct personality, a much more sharper wit and humor. And I found Loyal's performance kind of more stilted than the others. You know, especially when she was giving commanding orders, I just didn't it. So you know, I don't want to knock on the actress too much, but I can kind of, yeah, why she didn't come back, or maybe as you say, this was a, yeah, you know, schedule uh, schedule order.
0: Yeah. So Tamlin Tamita she left because she didn't want to be typecast as a military, ah, gotcha. uh, a, a military woman. Plus, um, she. Uh, she had a few other roles up and coming. You you primarily know her either as uh, that girl from Karate Kid Two, the love interest for Karate Kid Two, if you ever watched it. I not. Uh, or something I know you've watched. She's the she's a Commodore O, the uh, Romulan uh, infiltrator
1: in Picard season
0: uh, one. Cool. Uh, but yeah, she she's not a great actress, to be honest.
1: Okay, good. I'm glad it's not just me. <laughs>
0: yeah, um, I, I've never been a big fan of her. Um, it, it, she's all right. She's serviceable. I think she got much better as as she got older, but at this time frame, no. Yeah. Uh, and I, I I'm very I'm very glad that we got Ivanova out of it because Ivanova is amazing. Uh, but yeah, that's the, the reason she left was scheduling. As long with not wanting to be typecast. Uh, her story, there's the, a the planned arc with her that starts in the gathering here uh, that uh, gets split off into a couple of characters. And I'm, we'll, we'll talk about it when it becomes relevant which will be ages from now. Ready? Her story is very interesting, what could have been.
1: Intriguing. Uh, and lastly, there's Dr. Benjamin Carl, who I gotta say, I'm very disappointed didn't keep in. I liked him a lot. I feel like his actor, Johnny Secker. I feel like, you know, through a combination of his maturity and a soft voice added this real presence to him. You know, he felt like this more experienced uh, guy there. You know, something compassionate and humor about him. Uh, You know, I've only seen the first four episodes, but so far I can say I'm not really too impressed with his follow-up, Dr. Franklin. I feel like he could have kept uh, Benjamin in and you could have kept the story arcs largely the same. But, you know, uh, there's plenty of time for Dr. Franklin to impress me.
0: Um, I I will say that uh, Johnny Seca had to leave because of an illness at the time. Um, He was in ill health, so he couldn't commit to a full season. His replacement, Dr. Franklin, I think will definitely grow you. There's hints about a future story already in The Gathering that I know Dr. Franklin is going to have. And so if Benjamin Kai was able to stay along... Uh, it would have been interesting to see him deal with that same trauma that's coming his way. Uh, Benjamin Kyle, though, is, outside of Lita, probably the one that is most mentioned. He will be mentioned constantly throughout all the rest of the series. He even gets a mention near the finale. He's basically a constant figure in the background. Even if he doesn't show up, his presence is still felt.
1: Yeah, that's enough touch. Mm-hmm.
0: So a large part of this early era of B five is the struggle between serialization uh, and what he wants to do with the show, a, a novel for television, to quote him, and a, a and what is expected at the time uh, in the nineties of you know episodes need to be easy to onboard. You know episodic that kind of jazz uh so yeah what are your thoughts on uh let's start with the human cast uh mm-hmm. uh the the human main cast so that would be sinclair and garibaldi um thoughts on them
1: i mean it's a silly thing but i want to get out of the way uh i call garibaldi the biscuit man <laughs> because here in england garibaldi's are like a kind of popular type mm-hmm. of biscuit so, as stupid as it is, that's what I call him in my head. Uh, he's adorable. I could. He. Uh, he's earned that title. It's more sort of you know midnight on the fine line that made me really like him. But yeah, he he's, he gets some nice stuff in this first episode. He's kind of schlubby in a charming way. Like you see mm. this guy. Like oh, he's in charge of security. That's another choice. And I know that there's more to his story that they're kind of teasing in the background. I'm sure that's going to come into play later. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I like it. I like this. <laughs> He just feels like a kind of 90s sitcom character. You'd expect to find Cheers <laughs> and he's just in charge of this massive space station that's that's you know crucial to the safety of the universe of the galaxy. <laughs> it's just a weird comparison, but I dig it.
0: Yeah, he he's very much an everyman. Yeah. That's what I like about Garibaldi. He's he's the kind of character that O'Brien would turn into over in Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Star Trek at the time didn't have those kind of characters. O'Brien was just this minor role. You know, it wasn't until DS9 that he really got any meat to him. W- one thing that JMS is trying to do, and that's actually one of my questions, so I'll go ahead and ask it now uh, in between uh, Garibaldi and Sinclair, is, you know, Garibaldi is for more of the boots on the ground, ordinary guy. Star Trek is a very pristine future, very utopian. Uh, and there's a lot of inversions that Jameis is doing to counteract Star Trek. Um, he loves Star Trek, don't get him wrong, but he was pitching B5 back in the 80s, and a lot of the times he was being told, no, there's only one room for an American science fiction show. Its name is Star Trek. You ain't going to get anything. Here comes B5 with this far more dirty, grungy look, uh, more more real in a way. So wh- what what's your feel on that?
1: I like it i like it a lot i think the i think one of the first things i told you about when i finished the episode was huh people wear normal clothes in this universe i like it because in star trek you know they're in their civilian clothes but you know but it just looks like a weird picasso painting someone just splashed onto a shirt it doesn't feel real it doesn't feel like a casual thing i get that it's trying to go for a futuristic look but it just feels like uh, you know pyjamas you wear a fancy dress party here you, you see people in just casual shirts and uh in a jackets, and it's like okay yeah. there's something reassuring human about this because you know if you think about it fashion senses haven't really changed that much over time so it kind of makes sense that it'd be still be remnants of it you know 200 years in the future mm-hmm. and it, as you said there's something kind of grounded about it, which is something I was expecting from the series. there would be a more grounded version of Star Trek, which to a point I, is I've been proven to be wrong. There are still some more fantastical elements. Yes. But yeah, I think from a visual standpoint, it really works. It makes these feel, you know, human.
0: One of the things that JMS always tries to, to point out is Star Trek is the future where we solved all our problems and then we're going to go out and we're going to explore and we're going to solve everyone else's problems. B5 is the world where we brought our problems with us.
1: Yep, that's the future. That's us.
0: Yep, Uh, and so racism, sexism, all that isn't solved. We still have that, and
1: believe me, that's
0: going to come to the forefront. (laughs) Uh, But uh, one of the great things about B5 is how it zigzags and zags around Star Trek, because Jameis is a big fan, but he also has a view of Star Trek that uh, uh, is... It's critical at the same time that he adores it. And I think we'll revisit this during a particular episode of season two, where that becomes not just subtext, but text. So continue on with uh, uh, Garibaldi and or Sinclair.
1: I think there's more meatier stuff to talk about Garibaldi in the future. Uh, Mm -hmm. So we'll save that for now. Sinclair, he makes a very nice first impression. Sadly found out what what happened to the actor today. So I'm sure that's an issue we can discuss towards the end of season one. So I know, you know, sadly, my time with him won't be too long. But oh, what a lovely voice. What a <laughs> distinct, warm, commanding voice. I'm obsessed with it. And this will sound stupid, but there are some shots where I'm like, huh, he looks like Christian Bale. It's like Patrick Bateman's <laughs> in space. That's a, That's weird, but I, I kind of dig it. <laughs> I don't know why, because if you really look at him, it, he looks nothing like him. But there's just some shots, some angles. It's like, huh, Christian Bale, nice.
0: Show me Paul Allen's PPG. <laughs>
1: My God. I like that he's very diplomatic. You know, I love his conversation with Delon, the whole Japanese Zen garden scene. I loved how that used mm. to bookend, the beginning and the ending of a story. That's cool. And I just like, you know, he's trying to keep his cool while everyone's just falling apart around him. You know, there's all this bullshit. He's famed for murder. He's trying to keep his cool. And then towards the end, he just gets to have his fun with uh, <laughs> Chika. You can just see just the barely simmered range and the just joy he's getting at trolling this guy. It's great stuff. Mm. I like it.
0: Yeah, S- something fun about Sinclair is how he uh, balances that the soldier mentality with the diplomat, um, and, and how sometimes he lets one roll over the other, and then sometimes he mixes them. Uh, he he's very much a um, uh, a, a soldier with. Uh, you know, with a heart of gold in a way, uh, and he he's very enjoyable. And yeah, de- definitely what happened with uh, with Michael O'Hare is very tragic thing. And I'm sure we will get into that when we when we get to the end of season one and we transition to the new commander as a result of that very tragic thing that happened. But he will be here still, and I will say that if you don't know, he will show back up even after he's been replaced. He will come back.
1: Okay. I, I think I have a rough idea what that means, but uh, let's see how it goes.
0: <laughs> the the rest of the cast, the alien cast.
1: Mm, love the makeup, love proper makeup for aliens. Just mm-hmm. even as something as simple as just freaky hairstyle, just do it, just do it for a show to just show how aliens these guys are. That's just something we don't get enough of these days, you know, these days you go on a planet and they all just look like regular humans. So just do something freaky, Freak with your hair, have like proper makeup going on the face, do the full prosthetic look, just something clever and creative. And thankfully, this is very much what the show is doing. So off to a fantastic start there.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's start with Delyn because you mentioned her a little bit ago. Mm-hmm. So uh, speaking of the makeup, uh, we uh, her makeup is different here than it will be in the future uh even the next episode there's a reason behind that i don't know if you want to get into that or wait
1: yeah, let's wait a bit okay
0: thoughts on the land
1: calm lady you know initially and then she just goes ape shit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and i love that that was great uh yeah I, that is is a good way to establish her as a character like you know she's keeping this kind of coy front you know very serene but when she's pushed as we'll see more in the soul hunter she's ready to throw hands and i love that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a rough idea where she's going in the future, so I'm I'm excited to see how that you know how that originates.
0: Yeah, it, it, it's worth pointing out that the magazine that he had did have a handful of spoilers. I've seen the magazine. Yep. Some of it was partially correct. There there was one spoiler in it that had a typo that cracked me the hell up. <laughs> and and I mean it, it like it was a typo that caused the spoiler to be incorrect let's put oh, it that way <laughs> uh so he does know that the will begin to look more human uh which uh is a whole plot point which means that i can say what i can say about uh her makeup change but we will save that for mid-eye on the fiery line lynn is fun and th- this is sort of a very early Delyn. she she's going to become a far more philosophical character character who can see right through things and, and really delve into the wisdom and the ideas behind it. Uh, so I always found her use of the rings very odd.
1: It did feel very 70s sci-fi. Yeah. yeah. The The,
0: the rings will never show up again.
1: <laughs> okay. So I guess the point of that scene is just to establish the the gray cancel.
0: Yeah, she can be a dangerous motherfucker if you push her. Uh, and this is a well-known fact, and it's will become a
1: plot point
0: later. But... She has first and foremost a kind heart. I I, I liken her to uh, Diana, uh, Wonder Woman. Uh, before you raise a hand in, you, you know, to fight, first extend your hand in friendship. That's very much who Dolan is. Mm-hmm. Uh there was actually a plan to bring back the rings in a season two episode, but it got cut for time. Okay. It was actually written by Peter David, a famous comic book writer. So that was cool. Nice. But, uh, but yeah, the, the rings have always been like an odd thing. It's, it, it's whenever I watch The Gathering, I'm always like, that's such an odd choice. And there, there's some handful of like early, early installment syndrome, and if I have a handful of things that will get changed or roughed out. And uh, I think the, the gravity rings is definitely like on there for like most blatant. This doesn't really work for me anyway. I don't know about
1: you. I mean, now that I know it's going absolutely nowhere, yeah, it, it doesn't work. But we still get Jakar getting his ass handed to him. So that makes me happy.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Delin D- is, D- is a great character. So let's move on to Jakar, since you just mentioned him. Thoughts on him?
1: Wildly different to what I was expecting, you know, so I knew him and Londo were essentially the faces of the franchise. Yeah, you know, a, a good chunk of the magazine was dedicated to them. They're what, you know, draw me my interest in the show because I vaguely know where, where the story's going. I assume Jakar would kind of be the more. Calm, uh philosophical, you know, parallel to Londo's debauchery, you know. Uh he's the face of the DVD cover of the gathering. So I've assumed, oh, there's something very serene about that image. He's gonna be the guiding light of this of this, you know, franchise. Nope, he's an ass. Uh the the scene where he's talking with Lita and he's like, you know, talk about having sex with him to put telepathic powers in the Nartley. Like, do you want to be conscious or unconscious during a meeting? And my mouth just dropped. I'm like, oh, he's one of those guys. We've got a long way to go before we we get even close to what I'm expecting. What I was expecting him to yeah. be whole story. just this sniveling, you know, victim complex guy. Like, oh, they they enslaved my people, my people, and like, well, you've enslaved other races. You know, he's very much. Somebody hurt me a long time ago, so I get a free pass on hurting other people. I'm getting my comebacks, which will be a a huge part of Midnight, so we'll get into that later. Mm -hmm. I love that I hate him. Let's just put it like that.
0: There is more to everyone here Mm -hmm. than what they seem. I will say that.
1: I know you're quoting from one of the episodes.
0: (laughs) An episode you're soon to get to, too. I'm excited. You know, Jakar, one thing that Jameis is doing is he... Uh, he's playing with the audience, and we'll get into this when we go when we get to a later episode. But what he's doing is he's taking the most alien looking alien, and he's making them like so camp and evil. It's hilarious. He's doing this intentionally to do, to pull the rug from out from underneath you later. It's a lot of fun. But yes, I love to hate Jakar early Jakar when he's has it learned his lessons, and he is the bully that has. Uh, he's the bully that became the bully. He perpetuates the cycles of violence by uh, by actively participating in it. He's got a lot of growing to do, and uh, that unconscious or conscious thing—believe it or not—that is strangely relevant.
1: Oh dear. <laughs> Uh, that leads me to a question. So I know in the original cut, you know, the original version of The Gathering, there's a line about him having a mate, you know, a partner, wife, however they, you know, the yeah. non-call it. That line is cut in the 98 version. So I was wondering, is that still canon to the rest of the series, or is that something that was totally abandoned when they moved to the full series?
0: Uh, that That is pretty much abandoned. He does not have uh, a wife or anything of that sort. Gotcha. We learn about his pouch brother at one point, and we meet his pouch brother in the comics.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I, I should probably state that Narn are marsupials.
1: That was in the magazine, actually. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's a lot of early versions of the
0: Gathering, even before broadcast. <laughs> I, I was looking up uh, some stuff when I did some research on it um, many many years ago because I wrote a for class for university. I was had to write a docudrama, so I uh, I did a docudrama about the creation of the gathering, <laughs> uh, because I'm that much of a nerd, and one of the early ones, even Kosh, had a, uh, a significant other, and that got cut too. How would that even work? Uh, laughs in future knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> Benjamin Kyle at one point was uh, of Indian descent, and, and stuff like that. There, there's a lot of interesting things that were cut, but yeah, the, the him having a mate is no longer a thing. In the future, he's well known, and it starts here. He's well known for being a bit of a perverted guy, uh, and he has a particular fetish for human women. So that that will come into play.
1: Gotcha. Yeah, a comparison just hit me, and I know I said I wouldn't go into too many starts for comparisons, but he's pretty much like the anti-Spock. <laughs> I was expecting him to be the Spock of the series, and now I'm a few episodes in, I'm like, oh, he's anti-Spock. All he's missing is the beard. <laughs>
0: It's hard not to say anything without future knowledge, so I'll just shut my mouth. Uh, right. <laughs> so yeah, J-Jakar, Jakar's fun, and he plays the very much the great villain in the early bits here. Uh, you're you're gonna you're going to enjoy him uh, later as he grows and he changes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Londo. opinions on Lando?
1: Love him, adore him, terrific. Uh, so the very first thing I saw from Babylon Five, you know, before I got the box sets was the scene on YouTube of him and Garibaldi, um, you know, so this is after Kosh was, you know, nearly killed, uh, and he, you know, it starts off funny. Garibaldi and Nondo having quips, you know, oh, I've lost my money. And then it transcends into that wonderful scene, that wonderful line of, um, you make wonderful sharks, Garibaldi. You know, my God, man, we've come a tourist attraction, you know, and that's the line I knew this is gonna be something special. This guy's worth, worth the hype I've heard about him. Uh, and the full episodes have very much proved that. He's, he's not the asshole I was expecting. That goes all to <laughs> dear Jakar. But Londo's great. You know, I keep saying this to anyone who you will know, <laughs> bear my verbal torment. If you get a character <laughs> or a series that can handle comedy and melancholy, then you've got a massive hit on your hands. And with both in terms of dialogue and how the actor is performing it, it's coming off wonderfully here. Uh can we'll mm-hmm. his name. It. Peter Jurassic That's it, yeah He's doing a terrific job I know he's American But he's doing such a great uh, Intercontinental accent you know? Yeah The very Space Napoleon vibe It just works so well As this, you know The shark mm-hmm. who's lost his bite The accent
0: was his idea um, James could not request it Which then Backfires Because every person They cast for a future centauring has to do An accent now <laughs> Great which is inadvertently hilarious in the
1: casting. I bet they hated him when they found out.
0: Also, the 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 hair is was an accident, kind of.
1: Oh, I can't wait to hear this.
0: <laughs> the idea behind the the Centauri Sunrise hair was that it would start out big, and then you would comb it back, and they would trim it, and it would be kind of a similar look to uh, Roman helmets, uh, just in twitch uh, okay. sides. Okay. Yeah, and, uh, and and how well groomed it was and stuff would uh would be basically your 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 social status, in Centauri society, and so they they had this big old wig, uh that was planned to be trimmed and cut to fit Peter, and Peter loved the look in 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 the mirror when they just put the wig on him. He, he he runs to James. He's like, I love this. I love this. I I I want I want to keep this. And JMS, this being his first show that he got the fully show run. Um, and, you know, he, he's a young guy at this point in time. He's worked on a handful of shows, but not a showrunner. And this is his one chance. And he knows if anything happens, he loses this. He's like, if you think you could make it work, Peter, we'll just go with it. <laughs> Turns out Peter was joking. Oh, <laughs>
1: wow.
0: But JMS didn't know that. So, the the Centauri Sunrise hair is Peter Jurassic's fault. I put quotations because I love the Centauri Sunrise hair. And not only that, but it will get redesigned and made much better in later seasons. Gotcha. I adore Lando's hair.
1: I think it works. It just goes with how freaky and creative you can get with designing these aliens. Yeah, and I particularly just like that strip of white hair that just adds a really yes. distinctive vibe to it.
0: Yeah, and it, it, it says that Lando is is an old man who acts young uh but yeah L- londo is my favorite character in the entire series mm-hmm. uh i I, well, I love everyone but easily uh londo is number one uh followed by ivanova and uh, a bunch of others some of which you haven't met yet londo is great and i, I because you've instantly taken a liking to him, and i know future stuff i'm going to be very interested to see your reactions because <laughs> <laughs> things are going to get dark We've made our way through the cast. Let's talk about the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, B5 comes comes in swinging with a very well-developed world that feels lived in in a way that I rarely see. Uh, it just comes in fully formed, and there's some rough edges that will be ironed out later. But that also comes at the cost of it being a pilot, as well as... Uh, you know, needing to tell the story as well as trying to establish the world leads to a lot of clunky dialogue, uh, exposition, stuff like that. And I can look past that, all all that stuff, and some of it I can uh, just hand wave away. Uh, so as a newcomer, you know, what was your take on the world and the way in which Seamus relayed that? Either the good from character relationships like Garibaldi and Sinclair clearly having a past history with each other, um, or uh, the bad. Uh, su- such as, l- l- let me explain to you what the B5 program is, even though you should already know what it is.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's a good example. Scenes like that where it kind of just pauses the bigger story, just to have that kind of conversations, which, you know, it's uh, necessary evil when it comes to script writing. You know, I should know. I've done my own stories. Uh, you want to move the plot along, but sometimes you just have to take a breather to explain some things, even if it doesn't always feel natural. It's just you just got to get over with. And for the most part, yeah, I think it's created a very interesting world. You know, it's it's established a war that happened 10 years ago. Uh, The stuff about how the past Babylon projects have been massive failures. That adds, like, you know, some tension and some mystery. Like, oh, what happened to Babylon 4? That went missing. What happened to that one? That could either be a throwaway joke or that could lead to something bigger later on. Uh, I have no clue. You're probably smirking yourself because you know the answer. But we'll find out later. (laughs) yeah i said at the time when i finished episode uh torchwood did something very similar where they said oh one of our bases has gone missing and they never expanded upon that that was just a fairway joke so (laughs) i'm i'm hoping this won't be the case here and i'm guessing not from your reaction
0: yeah it's definitely going to be expanded upon (laughs) and when you get sort of answers you'll have even more questions and then you have to wait a few years and then you'll get the full answer so be prepared for
1: that I certainly will.
0: So I- any aspect of the world you're uh, most interested in seeing how it develops from uh, before to um, uh, the, the telepaths and the way that they relate to society, etc., etc.?
1: I'm guessing the telepath stuff will be go more to later. I know the next episode of the whole big scene about, you know, uh, Ivana's mother. So, yeah, we can save talks on that for later. Uh, I guess I'm interested to see the other planets, uh, especially Earth, what Earth is like in the future. Because, you know, in Star Trek, it's paradise. You know, it's the center of Eden. Uh, Hmm. I'm guessing, as we were saying earlier, this is anti-Star Trek. Earth has taken their bullshit out to the stars. So what's Earth like at this point? That's something I'm looking forward to seeing.
0: Uh, Something that B5 does well, I think, is it keeps the action centered on B5 itself. We go to other planets occasionally, but B5 is sort of the focal point, and we, we filter it through that. And so we will see Earth, but we only see snippets of it. Primarily what we're seeing Earth through is through the eyes of these characters who are now far away from Earth and what that means and how they react to situations. Neat fun fact behind the scenes. Babylon 5 was originally envisioned to be two separate shows.
1: Okay, how does that come about?
0: So basically... JMS wanted to do like this big space opera, Rise and Fall of Empires, blah, 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 you know, classic, big sci-fi, but he wanted to do it on television. He didn't want to do it in books, and there was no way he would get the budget for it. The TV wasn't ready for it, and he had envisioned another show set, uh, you know, either in the same universe or not, about what it's like to live in a tin can uh, in the middle of a space. And all, and all this crazy stuff's going around you. And he went, wait a second, they're the same show.
1: they economical.
0: Yep, so it's about the lives of these people who live in this tin can in the middle of space while empires <laughs> rise and fall around them.
1: That's a fantastic way to describe it.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, so as a filmmaker, I, um, I need your, your opinion on the lighting here, because the lighting here is going to be very different from the main series, uh, as you can already tell. Uh, And JMS has had conflicting feelings on it, and the uh, part of that was disagreement with the director, Richard Compton, um, and and stuff like that. So as, as a film student, a filmmaker, what is your opinion on the way that things are filmed here, the lighting and so forth, and the way it's done, say, going forward in Midnight?
1: I mean, it's been a while since I've seen the pilot, but from what I remember, it was... Mostly kind of flat looking. A couple of nicely lit shots here and there with you know nice distinct glow, but nothing to write home about. Like I said, there was something kind of missing there.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It could be just a DVD transfer because I know you know there's some crackle to it, shall we say? It's Not mm-hmm. the highest quality. Which you know I'm not. I'm not someone who usually moans about that kind of stuff. I don't need the Blu-ray or anything like that. I'm fine with just a you know <laughs> casual frame rate. The the the
0: the DVD copy was was not the greatest. Uh... Uh, I I know I've told you, but just in case the audience doesn't know, the uh, DVD copies infamously zoom in the CGI. um, Because B5 was filmed future-proof, so they filmed both 4x3 and 16x9, uh, but the CGI, because the technology at the time, could only be rendered in 4x3, uh, resulting in change of frame rates if you were going to keep that way. So... When they did the DVDs, the decision against JMS's wishes uh, was to zoom in the CG to make it 16 by 9 which is why the CGI looks even more grainier than it should. It's since been remastered, uh, and they converted everything to the 4 by 3 format for the remastered versions, and it looks much crisper, much nicer, but uh, Josh has the DVD versions.
1: Yeah. I'll try flip-flop between versions if I can. Mm. Just to you know, just to get a full round vibe of <laughs> all the versions.
0: Pilots are known to have a rougher time than most, uh, mm. with with uh, exposition and plot and characters, and kind of balance all of that. So, this being you know a, a thing where Jameis didn't want a pilot, he wanted to get straight into his uh, novel for television, and because of the restrictions of TV at the time, he was forced to do a pilot. And so that adds extra layers of complication on The Gathering. So what is your opinion on the overall story, the overall plot, and how you think it it, it fits in with what you know about the series of the episodes you've watched so far and the feel of that?
1: The Gathering, for what it is, feels like a nice, fairly nice standalone story, Uh, but as a good springboard for what's to come, I'm sure. You and I keep saying that there's all these background details going on in the early episodes are like going to lead to bigger stories. <laughs> I haven't quite noticed them yet, uh, but I'm sure I'll look back at some point point. be like, ah, oh, fuck, there it, there it was.
0: There are two major ones in this one. <laughs>
1: yeah. it, it's,
0: it's, a dec- it's a decent uh, pilot.
1: Yeah, it didn't quite go in the direction I was expecting for. I wasn't expecting the whole, uh, you know shapeshifter murder mystery vibe going on but mm. it worked it added attention Added a deadline you know, had a trial it's it's a good way to show how everything is you know despite this being the last beacon of hope for the for the galaxy things are still <laughs> pretty shitty there there's um you know ross in the foundation shall we say
0: Mm-hmm. Going along with your your mention of, you know, background details, there are some very blatant signposts of mysteries happening. There's a hole in your mind, Babylon 4, handful of others, uh, what the fuck Kosh is, uh, and the Vorlon. So what is the one you're most interested in seeing the resolution of, or at least answers?
1: Definitely there's a hole in your mind. That line really uh, struck a chord with me. Like, you know, not intentionally, it's just the way I've tried to... Describe my mental state, you know. Sometimes, so hearing that line said in the show is like, oh, that's that's a freaky, freak coincidence. That's <laughs> there's something mysterious about that. I think, it, uh, and it can be, you know, on the facial front, the lines meant, oh, you've got a in mind. You've got you lost twenty four hours of memory. Uh, but there's something, yeah, you know, I'm sure there's something deeper to that. You know, I'm sure there's a more connected part to what really happened. Uh, Sinclair's involvement in the war. Which, you know, mm-hmm. sadly, because I know uh, the character and the actor won't make it past season one I'm guessing we'll have to find a pretty rushed way to to describe that I know that there's a uh, prequel movie, The Beginning that yes. into the war. So I'm guessing that'll answer a big question It's great stuff, there's something very ominous about it, I like it
0: mm-hmm. uh, That line will be used in the season five intro Get ready to hear it a lot more when we get to season five <laughs> Uh, just to cap this off what has been your favorite scene from this episode um and do you think my enthusiasm for the series has impacted uh, your enjoyment or non-enjoyment etc
1: yeah it's it's definitely been an impact cuz you know i was in, i've been interested in, since the magazine and the series but hearing you go into it was like oh so this is definitely worth the watch and there is actually a fan base for this <laughs> cuz i've not heard of it before <laughs> Um favorite scenes outside of the mention Londo stuff, yeah. You know, the whole my guard man become a tourist attraction. That's mm-hmm. probably my favorite scene. But outside of that, I really like the Sinclair and Delon stuff, the whole Japanese Zen mm-hmm. garden. Oh, that's like, you know, you've you spent all this time looking at the garden, but you don't know it. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, it's probably the reverse. But yeah, that's mm-hmm. such a good, you know, you throw a stone into the sand, you change the whole pattern. That's such a nice metaphor for the ship for Sinclair as a whole. That's cool, mm-hmm. so I'm looking forward to seeing how that gets uh, paid off in the future.
0: And I blatantly stole that for Elevator <laughs>
1: Uh
0: If you go back to my Star Trek pitch, the, the there's a scene between Archer and my Violocian character that is just that scene. <laughs> and I even have a
1: dick place in the garden.
0: I just yeah. stole from it.
1: I mean, to be fair, I borrowed a couple big finish ideas for my Star Trek thing, so it's all <laughs> um, evened out. <laughs>
0: Yeah, you you didn't know B5 at the time, so I, I knew you wouldn't comment on it, but I was like, everybody who's ever watched B5 knows exactly what I'm doing. Yeah. Nice. As, as a final question, if it wasn't for this podcast, my friendship of knowing that I adore this series so much, would you continue watching past the pilot?
1: It probably would have taken me another five or ten years for me to actually get out of watching it, to be fair. So, yeah, I probably would have gone round to it, but this is certainly a, a great incentive to really to really take my time to really uh, first of all, so to ex- explain to the audience, I'm watch. I'm trying, my goal is to watch these episodes twice, you know, twice each first time, just going casually, just a casual watch, eat a snack, just enjoy myself. Second time, maybe after a week or two, rewatch it again and just doodle some notes as I go along and see how that matches to my initial thoughts. So yeah, like I said, you gave a good incentive to really throw myself in and to, uh, you know, do some digging into the background history and uh, the fandom's connection of the show. Uh, before we end, this, this isn't a question or anything. I just wanted to say, uh, this is a goofy extra I liked. I love how you just see the Babylon 5 logo on everything on the station. Yes. <laughs> and how the communication system is called Babcom. It, it just really yes. ties into what Sinclair was saying about how human humans just wanna... <laughs> if something breaks, we just keep building it again and again. And yep. It just feels like they're we're flaunting hey, we know this is a cursed station, but uh, marketing is important, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, Fair Lions cares about this shit.
0: <laughs> yeah, the, the the B5 logo is actually kind of important because it will change throughout the series. Uh, with the mission statement of B5 itself, um, uh, it, it has a few variations, uh, and that will signify a big change coming forward. Nice. Uh, so keep an eye out for that. I wanted you to do you know, the majority of talking, me acting as a guide, question asker, occasionally chime in, but I figured we could go back to some of what we used to do with Witcher and do a do you have a question for me before we sign out?
1: I have some questions, but I think you'll be wiser to save them for future episodes.
0: Alrighty. So, uh, that has been The Gathering. Our next one will be uh, Midnight on the Firing Line, Mm -hmm. Uh, and uh, again Josh will be Hero throughout the entire thing, unlike which where he dropped in and out.
1: Yep, this is a full-time dog dropping out. Yep. I should have had the contract.
0: <laughs> uh, and make sure to go listen to Elevator Pen because that's where you can see us being creative and not just being weird nerds. Well, we're still weird nerds over there, but...
1: Well, yeah.
0: <laughs> see you next time. Bye.
1: Bye.